All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, can we just like get in the rhythm of saying this? Merry Christmas. All right, good. Yeah, you got a little bit of gusto there. I like that. And um, John, I am one of those parents that's trying to get their kids to come back <laughs> for Christmas Eve. And right now I'm betting 500. So I got one out of two. I don't know. My daughter's coming back on Christmas morning. I mean, what, what is that about? You know, do I want to go to a hair on Christmas morning? Can I just complain a little bit? <laughs> don't say anything to her when she's here. <laughs> The trauma of being a pastor's kid. You get talked about a lot, even though you don't like it. Oh, boy. Uh, but speaking of Christmas and being a child, do you remember what Christmas was like when you were a kid? Just kind of think about that for a moment. Do you remember what Christmas was like when you were a child? I, and I know for some of us, um, memories of Christmas hold uh, some pain. It wasn't always great for, for all of us. But I think for a lot of us, um, I mean, Christmas was almost magical. Uh, now, my dad was a pastor. Okay, speaking of the trauma of pastor's kids, that would be me. Um, but we were at uh, church almost the entire day for Christmas Eve. And we would have a service at 5 o'clock. We'd have another one at 11 o'clock. Uh, John also feels my pain, <laughs> experienced the same thing. And, uh, but actually, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I loved being around the people. It was just a, a whole lot of fun. And uh, so we'd go to 5 o'clock, we'd go to 11 o'clock, we would get home, you know, sometime around maybe 1 in the morning, and of course I was dead dog tired, but the adrenaline was also flowing because we knew that it wouldn't be long before, you know, Santa was going to deliver the goods. Are, are you kind of with me? Maybe you have memories like that. Now, uh, my brother Dave, who you saw on the screen in the, in the flannel, which they didn't tell me about, um, we shared a bedroom when we were kids. And so we would go to bed pretty quickly after we got home. And uh, then we would wait quietly, you know, in our bedroom together. We had a trundle bed, you know, sleeping next to other. We'd be listening for any sound that might indicate that, you know, presents were being delivered by Santa Claus. The rustling of, of plastic shopping bags, right? You know, doors opening and closing, lights being flipped on and off, tiptoed, you know, foots going up and down the stairs. Does anybody else remember that? Am I, you remember that? Okay, cool. I, you're not, I'm not the only one. And then as soon as we were certain, you know, that mom and dad were in bed and the lights were off, what do we do? Yeah, we mosey out of our bedroom, we tiptoe down the stairs, and we see what, you know, Christmas had brought us, what Santa had delivered. And, uh, I mean, the anticipation and the excitement and, like, the wonder of it all, I mean, it was so much fun. It was so very real. Except for uh, the one year when Santa brought us boxing gloves. And I ended up with a bloody nose on Christmas Eve. True story. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Who gives brothers boxing gloves on Christmas? That's just like, that's not a gift. That's like a vendetta. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to counseling for that still. Um, but you know, as I look back over uh, the years, there, there is kind of a progression that I see um, that's taken place in terms of how I celebrate Christmas. And, and you know, when we were kids, I think Christmas... You know, it's all about me, right? You know, my gifts, my school, my, uh, school performances, you know, my experiences, my fun. And then when we get a little bit older, I think Christmas tends to be a little bit more about us. I think togetherness becomes a part, key part of the Christmas experience. And uh, maybe it's because you find that special someone or you move away, you know, like my kids, and you come home. And so it's kind of a big deal to be all back together. It's about us, right? But then at some point, I think Christmas becomes more about um, them, and them can be a lot of different people. You're, you're more focused on creating experiences than having them. And it might be because you have your own kids or you have nieces and nephews that you're close to. Or if you're not that, at that stage of life, maybe you just love you know, being the host or hostess for Christmas and, and inviting people over and really just providing that for people. 
And as I've gone through uh, that progression, uh, something does seem to sort of be clear to me that Christmas seems to mean more and more and more, right? Um, more decorations, more gifts, more events, more spending, more credit card bills. But as I've thought about this, especially over the past week or so, uh, there's really one thing that there doesn't seem to be more of. More of so many things, but there's one thing that I would have to admit uh, I don't feel like there's more of, and it's this. I, I don't think there's more wonder. I don't think there's more wonder, which is not to say I don't love almost everything about Christmas. I do. I love the decorations. I love singing the songs. I love getting together. I love all of that. But um, I mean, to be honest, I think for most of us, Christmas is not maybe all as wonderful as maybe it once was. I mean, when I was a kid, like a live nativity scene was incredible, right? And, and now as an adult, I can only imagine how hard it is to get enough volunteers to clean up all that animal poop. Are you with me? I, mean, I mean, think about that. That's a very real challenge. Uh, or when I was a kid, you know, I was blown away by Christmas light displays. And as an adult, I, I feel the pressure to have a display that's commensurate to what my neighbors have, which is not happening in any way, shape, or form. Or I'm aggravated that the zoo lights at Lincoln Park Zoo is bringing massive amounts to tr of traffic to my neighborhood. And, and again, I don't think I'm jaded. <laughs> Maybe you're going, yeah, you are. <laughs> you're very jaded. I, I don't think I'm really jaded about the season because I love almost everything about Christmas. I'm just not sure that it gives me wonder like it used to. I mean, like genuine, wide-eyed sort of wonder. And I think maybe it's because it just all feels so familiar. Uh, the experiences, the songs, and even the story. Uh, maybe it's just me, but, but how about you? Would you say that reflects your experience, too, that the wonder just isn't quite what it once was? But what if we could go back and see this incredible story with new eyes? I mean, what if we could re rediscover the wonder of Christmas? After all, I mean, think about it. We're actually celebrating the moment when the God of the universe, right, broke through into time and space and became one of us. And how he came was so unimaginable. I mean, he came in the most helpless and unassuming way, a newborn baby, not born in royalty, but actually born in poverty. His parents experienced homelessness, right? They were immigrants on the run from a cruel king. And yet this child was God. God coming into our world, or as one translation puts it, he moved into the neighborhood. Uh, writing about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah describes this coming king, and I'd like for us to read this verse out loud together if we could. Okay, let's read this together. It's probably familiar. It's from Isaiah. Again, it was a prophecy from 700 years before Christ's birth. Let's read this together, okay? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And in this passage, if you look at it, Isaiah gives us four descriptive names for Jesus, the God who moved into the neighborhood. And we see it there, right? He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so each week in this series, we're going to take a look at one of those four names and, and take a deep dive into what it means and what it's about and, and how these names can bring tremendous significance, even, I think, wonder to this Christmas season. And so today we're going to look at Wonderful Counselor. 
Wonderful counselor. And almost every time I've taught, I was sharing this with, uh, with Dan. Dan's a, Dan's a counselor, so we were kind of talking about this name, Wonderful Counselor. And every time I've taught on this particular name in the past, I would almost always talk about the counselor part, right? And how, you know, fortunate we are that we have the most incredible, knowledgeable, relational, relationally savvy counselor in the universe at our Beckett call, anytime, right? And while that's true, today we're going to focus more on the wonderful part. The wonderful part. What does it mean that Jesus is wonderful? Say that after me, would you? Wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. You know, the Hebrew word translated wonderful in Isaiah chapter 9 is Pele. Now, I don't know when you, if you think this when you hear that, but I immediately think of the soccer player Pele, who was quite wonderful, but that's not what this actually means. And, and in English, what's interesting is that it, it comes across like an adjective, right? Wonderful counselor. All right, adjective noun, it describes the noun, but actually in Hebrew, wonderful is actually a noun. It's a noun. So it's not just that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, it's that Jesus is a, he's a wonder. Think about that. Doesn't that kind of give that a different sort of feel or meaning? He's not only a wonderful counselor, he is a wonder and this word, this Hebrew word, pele, means extraordinary, hard to understand, even astounding, in such a way that it causes um, a feeling or attitude of intense amazement. That's who Jesus is. And so Isaiah isn't saying that Jesus is merely a wonderful counselor. He's saying that this child who was born to us is a wonder. He's a wonder. And, and try to just grasp the meaning of wonder. You know, wonder is different than curiosity or surprise. I mean, knowledge can extinguish curiosity. Familiarity quenches amazement. But wonder, however, seems to grow and deepen the more we, we fully seek to know and understand. And I think true wonder has depth. And it creates in us an attitude of humility as we are overwhelmed by a sense of greatness. Uh, we're all Chicagoans, right? City dwellers for the most part, unless you're here in from the suburbs or somewhere else. And um, I think if you've lived in a city very long, it, it's easy to kind of let the sights and the sounds of the city um, become familiar because you're here all the time, right? But if you're flying in from out of town and you've maybe experienced this, and particularly at night, I find, but if you're flying in from out of town, maybe from a work trip or being away with family or something, and you know, you're in the, in the plane, and, and particularly flying into O'Hare, I feel like, you know, on the one side, you know, you see this incredible lakefront, right? The, the water just goes as far as the eyes can see. And the other side, you see this incredible cityscape, right? And this, this, the, the high rises that just like jet up into the sky. And I don't know about you, but I, I've done this dozens of times, but I still kind of find myself craning my neck to look outside and capture this once again, and maybe even tempted to take a picture and post it on social media, and we've seen it dozens of times, so why be drawn to something that you're so familiar with? Well, researchers call this um, the overview effect. Have you ever heard of that? The overview effect. And it's this feeling you get when you look at something, even something familiar, in its entirety. And so on a daily basis, we might get a slice of the city or, or a part of it, but when you're up in the sky, I mean, you see the entirety of it, and you experience something deeper than curiosity or surprise, you actually feel this awe, this amazement. You feel wonder, and it's, it's almost like maybe the first time you saw a snowflake magnified, remember that, or under a microscope somehow, and you see the intricacy and the symmetry. I mean, do you remember that feeling, how you're like, wow, 
I mean, you're just in awe and wonder. And so 2,000 years ago, wonder broke into our world, and they called him Jesus. And the truth is, everything about Jesus led people to wonder. Everything about him was unique and different and amazing. Everywhere Jesus went, he dropped the mic and the crowds dropped their jaws. You know, his words invoked wonder. Yeah, Jesus' words invoked wonder. Uh, Matthew, the former tax collector turned follower of Jesus, recounts one of Jesus' most well-known teachings, sometimes referred to as the greatest sermon ever taught. Why? Well, because it actually is. And in that teaching, Jesus spoke words such as these. Uh, You have heard it said that we do not murder, but I tell you, do not be even angry with a brother or sister. Or you have heard that it is said, love your enemies and, or love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, no, love your enemies. Think about that. And the people who heard Jesus speaking, I mean, they were absolutely blown away. And it wasn't just that he was a good communicator and that his words were profound, though that is certainly the case. It went deeper than that. It was how he taught Maybe this will help a little bit. You know, think for a moment about um, the Supreme Court, okay? Uh, You know, when they're considering a given case, uh, they often rely on previous rulings, right, in previous cases to make a legal determination. They're, They're looking for precedent. The law isn't just, you know, written out of thin air. It's built with perspective based on rulings that came before. And the same was true in the synagogue in Jesus' day. Scribes, they were experts at Old Testament law, and the people regarded their scriptural interpretations as binding. And so the scribes, too, they would teach by, you know, citing the opinions of various rabbis on a variety of topics, and they would appeal not only to their own authority, but to the authority of others. And so when a rabbi taught, he was building on the teachings of other rabbis who came before him. But you see, when Jesus taught, he spoke with his own authority. And at the end of this particular teaching, Matthew writes this, he says, when Jesus finished The crowds were what? They were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They were blown away. And the authority of Jesus' words filled them with wonder. Wonder. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, and his words still continue to fill us with wonder. And those who actually take the time to stop and reflect on the words of Jesus are still amazed. His teachings have endured thousands of years of scrutiny. They've been translated into over 1,400 languages. They have crossed almost every ethnic and cultural barrier known to man. Why? In part because the words of Jesus are full of wonder. Wonder. But you know, it doesn't stop there. Jesus' actions lead us to wonder. And throughout his ministry, almost at every turn, you'll see him doing something incredible and unexpected. Matthew describes uh, one particular incident this way, where he says, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. I mean, the people were astounded at what Jesus did. 
I mean, you have to allow yourself to go there just a little bit. Can you imagine what it was like to be on that hill with Jesus, watching a man who had never once taken a step on his own power ever before suddenly stand up and start to skip around? What was that like? Or can you imagine the joy of a woman who had never, ever seen suddenly opening her eyes and taking in the beauty of creation for the very first time? Time. It's so easy for us to kind of let these stories go in one ear and out the other. Imagine what that was actually like. I don't know, maybe this will help a little bit. I want you to see this video of um, several people who hear, maybe you've seen this before, who actually hear for the very first time. Take this in. Hi, Cooper. Hi, Cooper. Okay, what do you think? How does Hi, sound baby. Put together? Sounds good. <laughs> Hi, Grayson. Talk to him, Daddy. Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. <laughs> Daddy. Yes, here. There you go. It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? Oh, that's exciting. Doesn't it? Isn't that incredible? Imagine being with Jesus and experiencing that every, almost every day. The wonder of it all. Imagine that. And you know, Jesus still brings physical healing at times, but we also see his power at work when he brings healing to our hurts, our disappointments, uh, the pain that we experience. Yeah, the wonder that Jesus can bring wholeness to the most painful and broken parts of our lives. He is wonderful. But I have to say, perhaps the most wonderful thing about Jesus is the very thing that we celebrate at Christmas, his birth, his incarnation. I mean, at Christmas, we celebrate the wonder that God came to us himself, that he is God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, theologian Alistair McGrath, he writes it like this. He says, God did not send a subordinate to redeem us. He chose to do it himself. Think about that. He didn't send somebody else. No, he came himself. And his birth means that the creator of the universe, the one through whom all things were made, the one who is wonderful, loves us so much that he showed up on our doorstep. He came to be with us. And it means that God is not only strong and mighty and good, it means that he actually cares. Why can you trust God with the stress and worry that you're experiencing right now, even as you approach Christmas? Why can you trust him with your relationships that might seem so strained and even broken with your fears that I know are deep, deep within each of you? You can trust him because he came and lived a fully human life and he understands your fully human life. And though few could understand what was actually happening, you know, those who encountered this child, they were just blown away. They were amazed. They knew they were witnessing something breathtaking and remarkable. The shepherds, they, they rushed to the manger to see this baby born, and then they left, and they went and told everybody, and everybody who heard the news from them were amazed. You see, Jesus is a wonder, and he wants to break into our world as wonder today. And let me just ask you, don't you sort of long to experience him that way? 
Don't you sort of have that feeling inside too that, yeah, you know, I, I want to experience Jesus with that kind of wonder. Let me just ask you, when, when was the last time you would say you experienced wonder? Can you think of a time? Honestly, think about that. When, when was the last time you would say you actually experienced that kind of wonder? I want to show you something that, that reminds me of uh, the last time I experienced that. Anybody remember these? Yeah. It's been a few years now, but uh, you might remember the total solar eclipse that occurred. It was in 2017, so it's been six years now. But it was a really big deal, and it was this rare occurrence, right, where the eclipse was visible almost like for the entire United States. And so it became this big deal, and it was like a shared cultural experience. And if you don't, worry, don't remember it, don't worry. It's going to happen again, actually, in 2024, and they say that it's going to actually last twice as long, so it's going to be super awesome. Get your glasses now before they get real expensive. Um, <laughs> I was in New York uh, when this uh, last eclipse occurred, and I was there because I was dropping my daughter off uh, for college. I mentioned her earlier. I like to talk about her a lot. And I was so hurried making all the arrangements for her to get ready for school and to make sure she had everything she needed. I mean, I hardly even was aware of the eclipse. I didn't even know it was coming. Well, fortunately, early that afternoon on the day of the eclipse, I ran into another dad that I knew from Chicago whose son was also attending the same school, and he stops me literally like in the hallway of the school and says, you've got to see this. It's incredible. And then he handed me a pair of these, you know, eclipse glasses. And I walked outside and on the corner right here in New York City were hundreds of people all with these glasses on looking up into the sky. And it was incredible. Do you remember that? I mean, it really was stunning. I didn't want to walk away as I watched, you know, the, the moon, you know, shadow slowly cover the sun. And, and together, what was cool, we all together collectively experienced a sense of awe and wonder. I know that's what it was. Now, author Margaret Feinberg wrote about the wonder that she and others felt uh, from that eclipse. And here's what she said. I she wrote it so beautifully. She said, temperature plummeted, darkness descended, jaws dropped, Yesterday we stood in holy awe, the heavenly display wrapped by celestial power and beauty. A black fireball compelled strangers to erupt in applause at the airport. And then she said it wasn't just the eclipse, but what happened in the midst of the eclipse. Feinberg said at the airport people began loaning their glasses to each other so everyone could experience it. People had conversations, shared snacks. Wonder, think about it, actually drew people together and it had a way of encouraging unity. How powerful is that? And I can't, I can't and I hope this doesn't feel nostalgic. That's, I don't think it is, it, it, but it makes me wonder, I mean, what if, what if we could experience that kind of wonder, the wonder of the eclipse every day? I mean, how different might our world be if we dare to share that sense of awe and wonder together, collectively? See, the truth is that kind of awe and wonder happens every day. It is. It's all around us. I think we fail to see it because we don't put our wonder glasses on. And so what once captured our imaginations, I think, simply becomes tradition, maybe routine or familiar. What once made our heart burn within just feels like nostalgia. But see, I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think it has to be that way. Because the words and the actions and the birth of Jesus can still strike us with an ongoing sense of awe and wonder when we allow ourselves to be captivated by him. But the truth is, he's still speaking. He's still speaking. 
And so let me just ask you, will you experience the wonder of his words this Christmas? Will you? And uh, he's still doing miracles. Will you open up yourself to the wonder of his actions this Christmas? And he is still Emmanuel, God with us. Will you marvel at the wonder of his presence this Christmas? You know, I, I remember my, my kids were little, and this was probably more so like preschool through like the first half of their grade school years. And uh, when we lived in the burbs before we moved to the city, we had a park in our backyard. And so uh, we would often go for walks, you know, middle of the day, in the evening, whenever. But we um, would never call them walks. We always called it an adventure or an excursion. You know, try to make it a big deal. And uh, my wife was so good at this. And, you know, I was like apprenticed by her. So I started to get good at it. Um, and we'd look for anything that we could find that would bring a sense of awe and wonder while we were out on our excursion, out on this little adventure, you know, walk. And, you know, it might be something as simple as the amazing lines, like on the back of a maple leaf, you know, or how the wind was blowing the seeds of a dandelion across the field. Or, you know, it might be some, like, incredible cloud formation in the sky. And we would just, you know, soak it all in with tremendous anticipation. But it can't help but it makes me think, you know, what if we were to approach this Christmas with that same kind of anticipation? I think it's so easy for us to, like, get, get sort of like... Um, let the cynicism of the city get the best of us. You know what I mean? And I would just urge you, don't let it happen this year. You know, dare to wonder. Dare to be amazed. Let, let this Christmas, if you would, even reawaken in you a sort of childlike faith that actually expects the amazing to happen. Why not? So here, here's my simple invitation to you. Very simple takeaway today, okay? Here's what I want you to do, if you would. I invite you to do this. Every day when you wake up from now until Christmas Day, say this simple prayer. Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. Will you do that? Give me a nod of that. Are you guys with me? Can we do that? I mean, why not? I mean, we can approach it with some skepticism or cynicism, or we can say, you know what? I'm going to be open to your wonder. I want, I'm going to give Jesus the opportunity to truly amaze me this Christmas because he is speaking. He is active, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. Say that after me. Okay, Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. Yeah, see, I knew you guys could do it. I knew you could do it. <laughs> for to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, the wonder of Jesus is all around us if we will have the eyes to see him. And so this Christmas, open your eyes. Open your eyes to his wonder, okay? All right, we're going to um, just pray that prayer. And then Johnny's going to lead us in, uh, in Silent Night, which seemed appropriate as we think about the wonder of Christmas. And, and, and I would urge you, put a, put a stake in the ground. Mark a line in the sand. You say, you know what, today, December 10th, I'm going to be open to this. I'm going I'm to say, Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. All right? If you, if you don't mind, just let's just take a moment, and um, I'm just going to ask you to repeat it after me, okay? Jesus, that's where I talk, and you guys repeat it. Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. Let's say that again. Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. One more time. Jesus, I'm ready to see your wonder. All right, let's do it.